This is audio lessons for the financial planning certification exam. This is part one, principles of financial planning, regulations, and conduct. Lesson three, we are going to continue to cover ethics and professional conduct. This is a continuation of lesson number two. A couple things we need to get out of the way. This is just minor stuff, but sometimes you're going to hear references to the financial planner's professional firm. Now, as a financial planner, more than likely you're going to be working for somebody else, and that somebody else could include an insurance agency. It could include an insurance company, a registered investment advisor, or a licensed broker-dealer. Anyone you're working with is going to be basically overseeing your work, and they will have written policies that you will also need to abide by. When you are talking about ethics, and a lot of this is going to be about ethics, basically it's very simple. The reason they put these rules and regulations in place is basically to be able to quickly weed out the bad apples. If you are an honest, honorable person, most of this will never really apply to you, but you need to understand it and be able to explain it in the exam. There are certain terms that you probably already know. For instance, when you're working with a client, you may refer to his family. Or when you are talking about yourself and restrictions on what you can do ethically, it also applies to your family. And that's going to include grandparents, parents, spouses, step-parents, father-in-laws, uncles, aunts, spouse, former spouse, really pretty much anybody that is in your family group would be used in defining whether you are violating ethics or whether you need to look out for the client and their family. When you are giving advice, there's two types of advice, financial advice and non-financial advice. And each one is treated differently if you are acting as a financial planner. If you are acting as a financial planner, you may also engage other professionals. And those would be the professional services that include yourself as well as other professionals who you may recommend the client work with. And this could include lawyers, accountants, insurance agents, any professional which you recommend to your client, they will need to be recommended by following the rules of ethics as a financial planner. Now let's talk about a related party. A related party does not have to be a person. It can be an entity. It might be a company that you own or a company that your family owns or a company that your firm owns or has a financial interest in. These may need to be disclosed in order to avoid a conflict of interest when you are engaging with a client. When you apply to become a financial planner, you need to have met some very specific requirements. And there are a few things that will automatically 
eliminate you from any possibility of ever being a financial planner who is licensed or certified. These would include a few frauds, mostly financial frauds such as tax fraud or theft or embezzlement or any financially based crime. If you've lost your license, if you're working for a broker dealer or an insurance agent and you've lost your license for cause, then that's going to preclude you from getting certified as a financial planner. Now, if you just let your license lapse because you didn't want to pay the renewal fee or you stepped away from the business for a period of time, that would not count. How about a violent crime? If it's a felony conviction for a violent crime within the last five years, that's going to stop you from being able to become a financial planner, or at least a financial planner that's passed the examination, because you won't be able to take the examination. <laughs> if you've committed murder or rape, uh, they don't want you working in the business. So those are the things that are automatically going to stop you from even being able to take the test for a financial planner. Now, there are certain other things that may also stop you, but this would be on a case-by-case -case basis. If you've had customer complaints in the past, they are going to be looking at your background, and if they find customer complaints, that may preclude you from taking the exam. If you've gone in through civil proceedings or arbitrations or lawsuits, that may preclude you depending on what type of lawsuit it was. Felony convictions for other things such as drunk driving and other felony convictions that occurred more than five years ago may preclude you. Some misdemeanor convictions will stop you and I'm not sure exactly what those misdemeanor convictions would be. If you've been fired by your employer, that may also preclude you from taking the exam. So as a general rule, a financial felony, a revoked license, rape, violent crime, or murder within the last five years are going to preclude you from taking the exam. But other things that may come into play will be other felonies, that are not murder or rape, or bankruptcies. If you've had a couple of bankruptcies, that's probably going to stop you from being able to take the exam and other nonviolent felonies. So a lot of this should be basic common sense. And again, they have these code of ethics, and if you're an honorable person, most of the time you won't really need to even pay attention to them because that's just the way you lead your life. However... You need to be aware of what the code of ethics are and how, it, and how it would apply to you and how it would apply as you work as a financial planner. So let's talk about what should be normal standards by which you conduct your life as an individual, not just as a financial planner. Always act in the best interests of your client. Always act with integrity, competence, and honesty. Act with due diligence. 
And exercise due care. In other words, do the research required for you to be able to give a financial plan to your client. Disclose or avoid conflicts of interest. Your client's information needs to be assumed to be confidential. So maintain confidentiality in all the information you gain on your client especially the non-public information. Always treat your client's information as if it were a secret and nobody else should know about it. Hold yourself up as an example of what you would want to see in a financial planner. So in public, act properly so that it reflects positively on the financial planning profession. The standards of conduct bind you regardless of your title or your position or the type of employment. But when you are licensed as a financial planner, you are bound by the standards of conduct set in place by the board, the financial planning board. Let's talk about fiduciary responsibilities and duties. You have the duty of care. You have the duty of loyalty and you have a duty to follow your client's instructions. If you make a recommendation to a client and they do not want to follow your recommendations but give you instructions otherwise, you are bound to follow your client's instructions. You need to maintain integrity. The service you provide should be done with integrity, which means candor and honesty, and you can't subordinate that to personal gain or for your personal advantage. Competence. Sometimes you are not going to be an expert in all fields. And so knowing that is part of being a financial planner. When you know you are out of your depth, you will need from time to time to bring in other professionals which have greater expertise in the area which you need help with. So competence is important. You need to understand your own competence. And when you're out of your area of expertise, bring in professionals who have the expertise and competence in the area that you need help in or that your client needs help in. Diligence. When you're doing a plan for a client, you need to be diligent and do it in a timely manner and a thorough manner and need to communicate that with your client. Here's a big one. You need to disclose and manage any conflicts of interest. If you work for an SEC firm, those conflicts of interest are going to need to be written down for disclosure. If you work for a non-registered firm, SEC registered firm, it can be orally. But regardless, you need to disclose conflicts and manage conflicts. You need to have sound and objective professional judgment. And again, if you're out of your area of expertise, you need to bring in people that can help you with the project. But it needs to be done in a professional manner and use your best professional judgment to determine that. Professionalism, I think that's self-explanatory. You treat your clients and everyone around you with professionalism with dignity, courtesy, and respect. 
You need to comply with the law. You can't break the law for your clients. That's unethical and and could lead to the revocation of your certification. We've already talked about this, but let me reiterate it. Confidentiality and privacy are of paramount importance. You may not disclose information about your client without the client's consent. Now, if your client consents to it, you can disclose information. Say, for instance, you get a call from a CPA and he says, I'm the CPA for your client and I need to get this information. Can you disclose that information to that CPA? No, not unless you at least get verbal permission from your client. But once you have that verbal permission, then you can disclose it. Same would apply to an attorney or another insurance agent or anybody that probably would have a right or need to have information about your client. You cannot disclose that without your client's approval. And I would recommend, and this is a bit of an editorial, that you get it in writing. It's always good to have something in writing so there's no misunderstandings later on. Now, what about a law enforcement agency? If a law enforcement agency wants information about your client and has a legal right to get that information, you are required to cooperate with the law enforcement agency. What about a lawsuit? Somebody subpoenas your client's information. If it's a legal subpoena, you are required to comply with that if it's by a government authority. Civil claims may or may not be complied with. It would be dependent on your client's attorney whether you would disclose that information. But I would not be giving out information to an attorney without the authority of your client or your client's attorney requesting that you share that information. You are required to share information with a financial planning board if it's concerning an investigation or an adjudication. You may not share non-public information about your client. We've already said that before. You need to take reasonable precautions to protect your client's information, such as locked drawers, computer security. Basically, you need to act as a prudent man would in protecting information about your client. Now, you're going to need to have a written policy about how you are going to protect your client's personal information. That's often called a privacy policy that needs to be in writing and it needs to be shared with your client. If you are working with a registered rep firm or a, or a securities and exchange broker-dealer or registered rep, you also need to comply with Regulation SP. Regulation SP is basically 17 CFR subpart A Regulation SP, and it's basically talking about the privacy of consumer financial information and safeguarding personal information. So a lot of redundancy here. So let's say you've found a client that wants your services. Let's talk about the information you must provide to your client. We've already talked about the privacy policy. 
But in addition to that, you need to provide a description of the services to be provided. And if it deals with products, also the products that you may be providing the client. You need to disclose how your firm is going to be compensated. This is very important. If it's a fee-only service, that needs to be disclosed. If it's a fee and commission service, that needs to be disclosed. You need to disclose exactly how you are going to be compensated. If it's an hourly basis, that needs to be disclosed. It needs to be disclosed. And this is a big area of possible conflict. Don't try to hide from your client how you are going to be compensated. We know you're going to be compensated. Disclose it in writing to the client. Give them any information on websites where they can look up your firm's history, any personal bankruptcies, even if it has nothing to do with you, but if you were the control person for that bankruptcy, it needs to be disclosed. There are self-regulatory organizations that keep a data bank of complaints. If your firm is associated with one of these self-regulatory organizations, you need to provide the client information for them to look up any data they they can provide on your firm. Basically, give them information so they can check you out. Don't hold back and make full disclosure. So as a general rule, full disclosure is the key. Don't try to keep secrets from the client. If there's any information that, that would have a material impact on whether that client hires you, you may as well disclose it up front. And that's really not a choice. That's a requirement. In the financial planning agreement, make sure you define what the scope of the plan is, how long it's going to be taken. It could be perpetual. It could be a one-off financial plan. It may require tweaking from time to time. Describe what the scope of the contract is. What is the scope of the engagement? Are you going to need to be monitoring a portfolio for the client or monitoring the financial plan that needs to be disclosed? Or is it just a one-off plan and the client is going to go away and hire others to implement the plan? Is there a requirement to update information in the engagement and any other information that might be needed? You need to disclose if you're just a financial planner, either orally or in writing, any conflicts of interest. If you work for a broker-dealer, it has to be in writing. You don't have the choice of just doing it orally. When communicating with your client, you must provide accurate information. You need to provide accurate information that's in accordance with the contract or the engagement that you've entered into. And you need to respond reasonably quickly to clients' requests. So let's say you are a firm and you say you're a fee-only firm. But you might sell a client a 12B1 fund and get, uh, you know, trailing commissions later on. That is not ethical. That would not be a fee-only firm. That would be a fee, fee and commission agreement. You need to disclose anything you get. Now, how about, let's say your firm custodies assets with one of the major brokers. Let's say... Charles Schwab. And for custodying the assets at Charles Schwab, they give you access to some of their research. That's called soft money, 
And as long as it's reasonable, that does not need to be disclosed. But if that firm is giving you sales commissions, that is not soft dollars. That's hard commissions, and that needs to be disclosed. Like I said earlier, when you're putting together a financial plan, you may be out of depth. For instance, the financial plan may recommend that the client use the services of an estate attorney. So you may recommend that the client use an estate attorney. You might actually recommend a specific estate attorney. And if you do, you need to disclose if you are receiving any finder's fee or receive any compensation from any other professional party that you may engage for the benefit of the client. Or if the client hires them, do you get a kickback? Do not hide that. Disclose it fully. Again, the, the key is disclosure, full disclosure. So if you do need to hire another professional, make sure you have a basis for recommending a specific individual. Know about their education, their background. Are they going to be able to provide your client with the professional advice or services that, that you may need? I can see you maybe needing to hire an accountant to put together a financial statement, an estate attorney to possibly set up a trust for the client, an insurance expert if insurance is called for, at the very minimum, possibly liability insurance for the client. So you may have other professionals which you recommend to the client Make sure you disclose any soft dollar arrangements that you have or flat-out compensation that you may have with these people and have a good basis for recommending whoever you may be recommending. When engaging professionals, you need to communicate with that professional the information that they need to know in order to provide your client the best services they can. Be careful when recommending the use of technology. You need to have an understanding of the technology that you may be recommending to the client. Technology changes very quickly, but if you do make any recommendations for technology, make sure you have exercised reasonable judgment and care when selecting or recommending any software or any other technological tools for the client. And make sure there's a reasonable basis for thinking that that technology may actually benefit your client. Here's something that should be pretty obvious. Don't borrow money from your client unless the client's a member of your family or they're in the business of making loans. So let's say you have a client that's a hard money lender and you want to borrow money from him. If that's, if that's their normal business, then it's okay to borrow money from somebody on a professional level at an arm's length. I think that's going to be covering basically what you need to know about ethics. In the next lesson, we're going to be talking about developing a financial plan for your client. Best of luck in your studies.